Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name's Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I want to welcome Catherine Cox. Catherine is a former Australian netball player who played for the Australian team since her first appearance in 1997 and is one of only four players in history with more than 100 test matches. With Australia, she won two world championships and one Commonwealth Games. Catherine now has a regular role working in Australian media. This was one of the first recorded episodes of Movie Mind, and we just want to let you know that the team are working incredibly hard behind the scenes to improve audio quality and create the best possible experience for each and every one of you. Catherine, thank you so much for coming and having a chat today on our new podcast, Move Your Mind. I've heard a lot about you, haven't had the chance to meet you in person. This is my first time meeting you, but I really appreciate it. You've done a lot and I'm sure there'll be some really interesting information that we can give to the listeners from this conversation. So thank you for coming on. Absolute pleasure. And I, and I hope there is something that comes out of it. <laughs> no pressure. I'm sure there will be. You've done a lot. Um, so just to begin with, um, we normally ask the guests just a, a brief background on what you've done in the past and sort of where you're at now. Um, so, oh, God, started netball about the age of 11 and it was fairly quick through the the, uh, the junior ranks and made the Australian team when I was still only 18 or 19, so one of the youngest players there for a while and then was in the Aussie team for 16 years. So, um, it was in and out a little bit at the start when I was trying to find my feet. Uh, but once I sort of made it through that hurdle at the start, I was there pretty solidly for quite a long time. So I retired in 2014. Yeah, wow. And, and 16 years, that must be longer than most players last for. Is that Was that pretty tough to stay in that long? Did that require a lot of focus and uh, I guess even just maintaining, you know, stopping yourself from having injuries and things like that? It must have been tough to stay in that long. Yeah, it's a funny one because I've only, you know, I'm third in the line of test caps. I haven't got the highest number of test caps, but I was in the team the longest amount of time because, um, you know, I sat on the bench my fair bit too. So had I played all the games that I was actually in the team, I I would have a lot more tests than most people. And, you know, looking back, it doesn't seem like it was a challenge um, because it was something I enjoyed doing. I love being away. I love the social aspect of a team sport. Um, that kept me sane. There were some definitely some tough moments, um, and certainly, you know, my exit from the Australian team wasn't overly glamorous. Um, I was just well and truly over it, and I needed some time off. Little did I know that that time off would be um, me missing selection ever again. 
Yeah, yeah, right. And I guess I think it's a really good thing that you said as well that it didn't feel like it was that much of a chore or an effort for you because you enjoyed what you were doing because I'm mm. sure that the level of commitment that you needed to be a professional athlete and, and perform at that level, if it's not something that your heart's in, that would be incredibly tough for anyone to maintain. So I think it's a really good point for anyone, for the listeners to take away from from this about rather than looking at things from the external to begin with, find what you really are passionate about and then commit to it because it's not a commitment after that. Absolutely. And that's what people say about their jobs, isn't it? You find a job you like and you never work a day in your life. But I mean, there were some horrendous times in the Aussie team, some really challenging times. But the good thing is, is you've got 10 or 11 other people that are in that boat with you. So you've got plenty of people to vent to in a safe space. Um, You've got plenty of people just to talk through how you're feeling and everyone was feeling the same. So that certainly made those journeys a lot easier. Yeah, I can imagine. It's it's so important to have that outlet. And I know, and from people who have even had on this podcast, professional athletes that are in individual sports, I know they haven't always had that. And mm. the impact can be massive. It can make it incredibly difficult. I would never have survived 16 years if I was an individual athlete doing what I was doing. Not a chance in the world. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. Mm. Um, so what initially drove you to to become a professional athlete? Was it just like you said before, because you had this love of the sport and it evolved from there? Yeah, I mean, it was never something that I, you know, even as a junior, I never wanted to play for Australia or I didn't want to be a great netballer. I, from day one, did it because it was a social thing and I loved just hanging out with my mates. And then, unbeknownst to me, I was actually fairly good at it. So in terms of the selection at the start, it was quite easy um, it got hard the very first time and I learnt my the best lesson I had learnt thus far was when I first got dropped from the Australian team because um, at that point it had been smooth sailing. So why would you go and do anything extra? You just cruise mm-hmm. along doing what you're doing and then suddenly you're dropped and then suddenly you're like, hang on a minute, that's not fair and why did that happen? And, you know, you think you've been ripped off. Then you go and reflect and sit down and think, mm, probably could have worked a fair bit harder. So that was a really good moment for me just to realise that I had to. I had to do more than I was doing before. I couldn't just coast along anymore if it was something I was truly passionate about and wanted to be there for a long time. Yeah, and would so would you say if that hadn't happened, you you wouldn't have lasted 16 years and had the success that you've had if you didn't have to have that sort of wake-up call, I guess, with it? Oh, yeah. It was, uh, like I said, the best thing that could have happened to me. This, the 16 years, I mean, I would have got dropped again had I not, at some point I would have been dropped had I not been dropped early and had that moment of realisation because you can't just cruise along at the, at the top of the sport. You know, I often say to people that getting into the Australian team was the easy part. Actually staying mm. there is a really tough um, thing to do. So it was a really gentle reminder. It was not a gentle reminder. It was a quick kick in the head really, but it's what I needed at the time. And then it just, you know, set me on the path and any time from then on I got dropped or I got disappointed, I actually didn't bitch and whinge too much straight away because I thought there's there's a reason um, and, you know, had a, a moment of reflection and then, you know, quickly worked out what it was and then adjusted my path from then on. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes sense. And, I mean, it leads to what I was – another question I was going to ask you. I mean, as you've said, you you played – well, I've written here one of only four players to play 100 matches. Is that right? Uh, yeah. You've won two world championships, uh, Commonwealth Games, many other accolades. So you've maintained, you know, you've had this huge success in this sport over a long time. What would, could you boil down a couple of 
key sort of daily mental approaches you've had that has helped you to maintain that? Um, I don't know about that so much as, you know, there was a golden period of about 10 years that I was in all aspects of life content. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I loved I loved my team and it was before we were fully professional. So the teams didn't change much. So you didn't have players coming in and out because of money. You had a really solid group. So that meant you could get comfortable and you could – you know, you knew the people around you and what made them tick and how they got the best out of you. But I also had a coach that I really respected and who respected me. And the same thing, you knew what you were going to get from her all the time. And I think that's sort of comfortable, you know, whilst I say it's really important to get out of your comfort zone every now and then, that sort of comfortable is also quite important, I think, because you, you it's that familiar surroundings and, and knowing your teammates and how they work and and all that sort of thing. So that's when I was probably playing my best netball was when everything was good and we were happy and we were together and things weren't changing too much. And then, you know, once the changes do come, that's a whole challenge in itself again, trying to adapt to them, but adapt to them quickly so you're not left behind. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, and, and that, that makes sense as well. So it's really when when a lot of those barriers are, are taken away that make it so difficult for performing when we do have stress, anxiety, things aren't in our control. Mm. I guess it's that fine line, like you're saying, where, yes, we need to push ourselves. And, um, you know, you're saying that that situation meant you weren't out of your comfort zone too much, but you still would have been pushing yourself daily out of your comfort zone in the training, but within that very supportive and protective system, which I feel like that's something that so many people struggle with in so many industries where, we're from the outset putting so much pressure on ourselves or mm. the industry just has that pressure so you mm. can't find that level of of freedom to be yeah 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 so i think that's really interesting and mm. and something that i probably haven't thought about too much but something again the people listening to this could really try and take on board when we are trying to find that balance in life because mm. it's a continual balancing act of finding how do i push myself but also have the the stability and mindset to do it in a calm way rather than having all these different factors pushing And that's, I mean, whether that is um, someone that is your leader or if you're a leader of a a work environment or a team or a group or whatever, one of the the greatest things that our coach did at the time was appreciate that we were athletes but we were people outside of netball and what happened outside of that reflected on how we played and mm-hmm. most coaches don't care about that. They want you to rock up to training regardless and perform. But, you know, she would understand that we had um, we had mums in, in our team and we had people that were working full-time and were under the pump, um, you know, at work and stressed and studying and going through exams and all of that made an impact on what was happening. So she understood that and she knew her players and she talked to them and she got what she, she understood what each individual person needed. Um, and that sort of understanding coming from your leader or if you are the leader, I think is really important to, to get the best out of your players as well. Yeah, and, and we don't have that in – that's really missing in so many industries and it's rare to find that. And, mm. I, I, and I guess what you're saying, and this seems to happen quite a lot, whether in anything where you're um, performing at a high level, it sounds like from what you're saying, you your best years of performing um, in sport were when it was still – this thing you're able to enjoy and do it for the love of it and do it for the right reasons. As soon as it became more about the politics of what goes into the industry and all of the other sides of it that aren't so pleasant, did you, do you feel like that hindered your, your ability? Oh, to 100%, 100% it did. I, I mean, I didn't want to be there. 
firstly, it was foreign when that did happen. It was really foreign to me because I hadn't been in an environment like that. Um, so that's a whole adjustment period in itself. And then still trying to find the love because you know you love it. You've done it for so long mm. and you've loved it. But why has that love suddenly disappeared? Um, and then trying to find that somewhere in your in your new environment and, um, you know, how you go ab- about that. But also one of the hardest things for me was when it was tough, you know, I was in a, um, a team that I was captain of, a new team that I was captain of that was having a really difficult time with its coach. The players were horribly miserable. But I'm trying to keep everybody upbeat. You know, so you, sometimes you forget about yourself too when you've got to try and yeah. bring other people along and get them pumped up. Um, and you can often lose yourself because you, you're focusing so much on other people. So it's really important that you remember yourself first and foremost because if, you, you know, if you're not functioning, you're no good to anybody else. Absolutely. And, again, that applies to anything in life. You know, if, we're, uh, if, you, if you want to be able to help other people, you have to make sure that you're looking after yourself first. If you put other people above yourself, you're you're going to crumble and you're not going to then be able to give good advice or be supportive for other people. So again, it's something that I think in society and the way the world's structured and how fast-paced everything is and how much pressure there is, it's so hard to find that balance, but it is so important. And mm. I think one of the key points I'm taking out of you know this conversation and you know I can relate to this in... Um, the industry I'm in, in the entertainment industry where I, I pursue acting and I know a lot of actors and people in different areas of the entertainment industry, you get into it for the love of it. But once you're in there and you're getting rejected sometimes on a daily basis, you know, you're struggling to make ends meet and you're doing that for long enough, you eventually forget why you actually wanted to do it in the first place. And I think it is so important that we're able to somehow keep bringing ourselves back to whatever it is we're doing, doing it for ourselves and not mm. for that external outcome. If that comes, it's a bonus and, mm. you know, you've, you're an example of that success coming. But I'm sure that if you didn't have the level of success that you did in your sporting career, uh, you would have still enjoyed the process of doing it just as much, which really is the most important thing. That's the only thing that, that we all ever have anyway. So I think mm. that's something that is a really, you know, really important message to, mm. um, to send to people. Absolutely. Mental health and well-being are real issues in the construction industry. Men in construction are twice as likely to take their own life compared to the ones who work in other industries. And that's just not good enough. With John Holland's help, we want to make a change. We've joined together to have honest conversations about mental health, life, and stories of people who have overcome challenges. When we hear about stories and struggles that sound a bit like ours, we can learn from each other and remember that we're not alone. How about with netball, I guess, um, not having as much funding as, you know, sports such as AFL and other more high-profile sports in Australia? Was that something that was frustrating or you struggled with or it didn't wasn't as big of a thing? Oh, look, there's so many things you could bitch and whinge about that are out of your control. And I just think, what is the point in that? Um, control the controllables, as they say. So, um, you know, nothing much that we could do about it apart from, you know, play good netball and work as hard as we could as athletes and try and make the package as best we could. And then hopefully that would translate into something down the track. And ultimately it has, you know, we, uh, my generation paved the way for the girls making big money now and 
the coverage that it's getting. So whilst we didn't reap the rewards, we've seen um, what's happened to the sport since then. And that's a nice feeling to know that, you know, that was on the back of a lot of the hard work that we did. But it's all about controlling the controllables for me. I just can't be bothered wasting time and energy on things that I, I can't do anything about. 100%. And it's such an important point. And it sounds simple, but that's such a difficult thing to do. And most people struggle with it. I mean, with COVID, you know, we you can't really open your phone without hearing about it and having this fear and information put down, you know, shoved down our throat. So it is so important, again, you know, anyone listening to this, bringing things back to that really simplistic level of what can I control? What Mm. can I not control? Mm. Okay, if I can't control this big chunk of things, is worrying about it going to uh, improve that situation? No, it's not. Okay, well, maybe I put my attention somewhere where I can actually have an impact. But it's not. It's easier said than done. It requires practice. It's really a, a mindfulness, you know, based sort of technique. Is that? Do you think you cultivated that mindset oh, through being, to perform at the level? Yeah, I certainly didn't have that sort of level of ah, oh, just blow it off. It'll will sort itself out later. Not at the start. No way. I mean, everything that happened. You think it's a personal attack on you, and you know, you crack it if it doesn't go your own way. And you soon discover though that that is just wasted time, doesn't change the result. You know, me having a whinge about a missed selection is not suddenly going to get the selectors to go, actually, you're right, we'll pop you in. Um, so it's and it's then about just turning that around really quickly. Like how long can you sulk for? It's still not going to change the fact that you're not in the team. So over the years, those hardships, whilst they're a big kick in the guts and it takes you a day or two to get over them, I got myself around them fairly quickly because I thought, what can I do? I can't do anything about that. What I can do is now work harder or I can speak to selectors and find out why I need to. I didn't get in and, you know, just find different things to then focus on apart from the negative stuff. Reprogram. Yeah, reprogramming it. And I'm sure that has helped you, you know, post-retirement with everything else that you've done, applying that same mindset to whatever other um, career path and life path you've gone down since. I mean, you hear about a lot of athletes struggling post-retirement, struggling to find purpose, struggling to, you know, grappling with who am I, what am I going to now do? And I think a lot of the time it goes one of two ways. You can go and Mm as you're talking about here, apply these lessons and mindset techniques that you've learned to then to other industries to help you go and take on a new endeavor. Or if you can't adapt, often they implode. Have you seen a lot of athletes struggle post-retirement? Yeah, I've seen some really horrible situations and horrible stories. Um, Fortunately, within netball, not so much, but I've had some good friends that have played league or union or whatever, and their paths have gone horribly wrong. Um, to say the least. So, I mean, the good the good thing with my career, and I guess I was very lucky in that it finished on my terms. So with that allowed me time to plan for it. So, you know, I thought I'd retire in two years' time. So I actually started thinking seriously about my retirement and what it would look like mm. and then started putting in place whilst I was still playing that setup and that, you know, making connections with people that might be able to help me when I retire or, um, you know, starting to do some – investigation into areas of work that I might want to do or stuff like that. But, I mean, I can see that being a very different result if it's an injury and suddenly you're gone and, you know, then what do you do? But like like I said, I try and turn it around very quickly, but I do that by making lists of stuff. So I'm a big note taker. You know, what do I want to do and 
what do I need to do to get there? So start planning little steps and, and then just kind of cross those off as you go. And I find that really helps me. Um, just gives me something to look at and think about and write down. And then as you cross it off, you feel like you, you little um, sense of achievement. So it's kind of a little goal setting um, along the way, but it certainly just gives you a purpose and a bit more of a focus, I think. Definitely. I, I really like that. And uh, I think also with a lot of athletes, they um, tie their self-worth to I will be enough when I achieve at this level. And then if you base your whole psychology and your whole life on that, mm. whenever you, when you achieve it, then it's like, okay, well, what's next? And how come I don't feel fulfilled? Because, you know, we can never become fulfilled from anything external that, mm. you know, it's great to mm. achieve it. And like you were saying, writing down little goals, getting that sense of purpose when we achieve it. But if we're tying our entire identity to I'm only going to be enough when I achieve at this level, there's mm. nowhere to go from there. So no, and, and sport is brutal. I mean, as is mm. probably most environments, is that once you're gone, they don't care about you. Yeah. So it's not like you're going to be, you know, living through them all the time and you're going to be welcome back to come and do some work. They don't care about you. You're a piece of meat for the time being that you're there. So the, the sooner that you cut ties and you have a new purpose, I think the healthier it can be. So as I said, I was fortunate that I had some prep time to do that. And is that something you feel like in sport um, there's – it's dealt with well, or I guess in your in industry, is that sort of set up to help people transition? It is better. Yeah. It is a way better than it was. So, um, you know, probably only two years before I retired, though, that they started to um, put welfare people in with the sides, in with each team, and those welfare people, I mean, I spent so much time with mine in, in Perth because – I needed, I needed to vent because I was going to implode. But you can't do that to your team because mm. that just drags everybody down and that's a, a sort of a cancerous little environment that you've created. So you have to have someone. You've got to have some support network that you can go and vent to and just have those chats, get it off your chest, get some advice, whatever you need. So I used ours to death. Um, but she was also the one that I spoke to a lot about in my retirement. And I think most codes of sport have those people in place now. Um, that start to prep you for your retirement but also even early on for the rookies that come into sides I think there's a lot of prep around just your education and stuff now mm, too so yeah. that when you finish as an athlete you've got something else yeah and what I love about what you're saying there and this again applies to whatever industry you're in it it's important to rather than being reactive and uh, waiting till there's a problem or till things get to that extreme point where oh, I need to now deal with it where do I go I'm overwhelmed you're always thinking ahead and, and also utilizing the resource in front of you. You had that resource through the sporting organization to utilize and you did. You utilized it and you planned ahead and did all these preventative measures to sort of upskill yourself and be ready. But for I learned that the hard way. Right. Because I didn't, I didn't do that early on and I did completely implode. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that was, these are all things that I've learned throughout my career and I'm so great. Again, it was a horrible, horrible time. Um, I had completely lost confidence and didn't never thought I would play the game again. I was at the bottom of the bottom. But it was the best thing that ha- ever happened to me because I found my way out of there and I thought if I can get my way out of there, I can get it, my way out of anywhere. But that was the moment that I realised that if I'm having issues, I need to go and chat with someone soon um, and get it sorted instead of thinking that oh, I don't want anyone to know that I'm struggling and I'm not going to say this out loud because that means I'm admitting to it and, you know, I'm just going to pretend it's not happening and I'll deal with it myself when, you, you know, we're not superhuman. No, exactly. And we do often need to hit rock bottom to then realise, okay, there's some fundamental things 
I need to change and that can be the you know the catalyst for things changing and that's a positive thing and and look we, we look back and you know you'd be thankful that all of these things happen now and even when people are looking at you know failing or things falling apart it's almost reframing how we look at that looking at at it more as a reset or an opportunity to to really you know reprogram a lot of negative things that aren't going to serve us long term it's being able to look at it that way which a lot of people you know don't do or like you're saying will have those questions going through their head will i be judged should i talk about this is it weak maybe i just keep pushing on if you do that eventually something's going to give so it's about knowing that no one's perfect we're all human mm. and mm. that's completely normal it's actually impossible mm. to have all the answers and have everything sort of sorted we've all got different things that we're good and bad at so it's being able mm. to recognize that have that self awareness and and do something about it lean on other people absolutely uh so what since you retired what what have you been doing since well, the two things I vowed I would never do were coach and commentate, and I'm doing both of them. So <laughs> funny, funny how that happens. Um, I coached for five years once I, I came out um, of the leagues, um, and that was good, but that was stressful as well because you know you, you've been there and you've done it, and you don't understand why the athletes can't just do it straight away. Just you know, do as I say. Um, but that was really that was a good thing for me as well because it taught me a lot of, about patience. And then commentating, I went straight into it and I absolutely love that because uh, it's all kind of reactive. You're just calling what happens on court and it's great to still be involved in the game. Yeah, fantastic. And you, you're still actively involved in the game doing, I guess, right now with coronavirus, it would have put a few things on the back burner. But uh, I, actually, that's probably the next question. How, how have you found this whole period with coronavirus? What's your experience been with that? Well, I have a four-year-old daughter, so I have become an arts and crafts and a cooking fiend. <laughs> I've probably put on 10 kilos because of the cooking situation. But, I mean, it's been so good. It's been I, – I, last year for the season when, we were, when the National League was going, I was travelling every single weekend to go and do commentary on a game. So it's been nice to be home and not miss time with my daughter. But, I mean, it's, it's also been a really nice break. And, like I said, it was a struggle at the start. But then I thought, this is just quality time and I'm going to make sure I – enjoy all of this but I am also in the next breath looking forward to getting back into it and and hitting up the netball courts again and watching the teams play I can imagine yeah yeah absolutely and I guess you've been able to again in this situation apply some of those things you were talking about before with uh looking at you know what's controllable what's not make the most of it and that's a it is a time where there are positives you know more time with the family more time to reevaluate things have some time out look at Mm. what your next steps are and all that kind of thing it's it's really finding those positive um the positives we can take out of it yeah absolutely i mean one of my biggest downfalls is probably that i'm a big planner so i you know once i get this this the roster at the start of the season i plan the whole year around you know those weekends because i know i'm away pretty much everyone and so you know we're a month out from the season starting we don't have a draw can't do anything about it so <laughs> I'm kind of stressing about it all at the same time, but we'll be right. What can happen? <laughs> yeah. And what what have you sort of been doing to, to keep yourself um, occupied mentally without having that planning there and that the work sort of commitments to look forward to? Have you had things you've replaced it with in your day-to-day life? Or I guess it's probably taken up a lot of time, you know, looking after a four-year-old. But um, outside of that, are there other things that you've you've sort of done daily, whether it's exercise or different things just to keep you occupied? 
Yeah, all of the above. Certainly the exercise, we were getting at least two or three walks in a day um, just to get out and get moving, get some fresh air. But also spent a lot of time on Zoom calls with my mates, which was really nice. You know, we'd have 10 or 15 of them all on the one call. We'd do that every Sunday afternoon and um, and then, you know, throughout the week, certainly touch base with a lot of people. Funny though, when you're in COVID, a week will pass and you ask your friends what they've been up to. There's not much to talk about. <laughs> No, about the same as I was last week. So no, it was it was good. It was really important for me to just to stay in touch with people, um, to check in on other people that you know people that are bit stuck at home with four kids, for instance. My God, and also keep the exercise up was really important too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we finish every one of these interviews just with a few closing questions. So I'll go into that in one second. And just before that, if people want to learn more about you or what you're doing, or you know, follow your work in the netball community, you're commentating, et cetera, what, where can we send them? Probably just my Instagram, which I think is Catherine Coxie. I don't even know. I think it's Catherine Coxie. But anyway, have a look on um, an Instagram. It's probably where majority of my life is these days. I'm trying to keep up with the cool kids. Got to keep up with the cool kids. And we'll, <laughs> we will uh, have links to your Instagram. So anyone wanting to have a look at, at the Instagram account, it'll be in the link when this episode comes out. Just to finish up, um, these are, yeah, these are the finishing questions. Um, there's mm-hmm. five of them. The first one, what's your best childhood memory? Oh, so many. Probably caravanning at the beachside. Oh, nice. What do you personally see as being the biggest burden on mental health in society today? Um, I think we're getting better at it, but that um, people think it's not something you can talk about and it's something you can fix by yourself and not having that safe space. But I think we're we're getting a lot better at accepting, being accepting of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a lot more awareness, but there still is a long way to go, like you're saying, in people taking more of a proactive measure with actually talking about it and and knowing where to go to, to get help and being, you know, doing things actually like what you spoke about, I think is one of the biggest things. There's so many reactive services out there now, but mm. in terms of being preventative and actually doing things on a day-to-day basis not because we have a problem because mm-hmm. like we would if we were training to be an athlete or if I wanted to lose weight or be you know feel physically healthy I'm going to exercise and do all of these different things that's mm-hmm. what we should be doing from the mental health side of things as Absolutely. well not just reacting where do you see mental health being in society in 10 years time do you see it and do you see it improving declining somewhere in the middle you know where, where do you see things going in, in that area I, I don't see it going i don't see mental health going anywhere i think that's always going to be something but i i hope that the tools around to support it and to help and for people are so much better that just the support is up here yeah so i mean I, I can't imagine your mental health is something that is that easily changed but i would hope that what's available to people that need it is up here and that seems to be the case i think Absolutely. It's on this steady increase. Yeah. Yeah. The problem's never going to go away, just like anything. No. But hopefully there is much more of an improvement in how we how we deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what would you say is your personal definition of happiness? That's a, just a really hard... I think, <laughs> yeah. I think happiness has got to come from you. I don't rely on other people. You know, I don't rely on a partner to make me happy or, you know, work to make me happy or whatever. I think it's really important that you're happy first and foremost with yourself um, and then you can spread that joy to other people. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it's got to start from within. Absolutely. No, 100%. And uh, we get some really interesting answers to that, but it's 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 exactly what you're saying. And, you know, it might sound a bit cheesy or corny that it's got to start from within and self-love and everything, but it is absolutely what we need to do. We mm. cannot, um, and a lot of people do try and obtain happiness from from their partner, from their work, from all these different things. And it might, like anything else, like a drug, fill a void in that moment or that period or for a prolonged period of time but it, eventually that's gonna that's gonna give if you're relying on other things if you can do it internally then you're mm. sort of unbreakable because Except you can life. deal with anything mm. yeah absolutely so no really really like that answer um final one what would you say is the most courageous thing you've ever done um I think I think start to challenge people or um, look to be be comfortable in uncomfortable positions or environments. And again, that was a massive growth thing for us as athletes, is because there's always things that you don't like or that happen to you or are said to you, or you know someone else is doing that you don't like. But it's about having that confidence. Don't be a person that bitches and whinges about them. Go and speak to them about it. Clear the air. Get it done. Don't waste people's time. Um, I think this creates so much bad energy when you could just nip it in the bud straight away. I mean, it's an uncomfortable environment and just getting those things done so you can just move on and the air is clear. Yeah, because that really, a lot of the time we feel like we're people pleasing because we feel like it's actually means we're being kind to the other person or it's, you know, going to be rude of us to challenge someone, which Mm. is actually not the case. Like you're saying, Mm. deep down we're doing that because we're not valuing ourselves enough in our own opinion and we're afraid of abandonment or whatever it is. So again, Mm. like you've said, it boils down to if you've got that self-love and that security in yourself, then when you need to, being able to challenge someone's opinion, stand up for yourself and doing that in the right way, it's a really important thing. But the flip side is very important too, if not more, is that if someone comes at you with that information, that you're okay with it. Absolutely. Because it doesn't, doesn't, it's not, not just a one-way street. And again, I think that really does boil down to the same thing of if we're comfortable enough in ourselves, mm. we should be open-minded enough for someone to challenge things and we don't need to feel like we have all of the answers and, you know, no one does, but, you know, we should be open to other opinions and looking at things from different ways and that's actually how we learn. Mm. Um, again, it's a, a defence mechanism when we have to feel like we're right all the time and our way is the only way. That That's always just a way to protect ourselves from and protect our ego from realising that no one has all the answers. So, mm. yeah, absolutely. So I, no, thank you so much for making the time to have this chat today. Uh, there's been some really, really good bits of information that have come out of this. I really respect what you've achieved and really thankful that you've made the time. I know you're busy and you've got a four-year-old to look after and I'll let you get back to that in a second. Um, (laughs) But no, thank you so much for making the time to do it. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. No dramas at all. Thanks so much. This episode of Move Your Mind was produced and edited by Tim Buzard. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Move Your Mind. We're going to be releasing new episodes every week and we would love it if you could subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a comment, leave a star rating, recommend us to a friend and help support us on this journey. We'd like to thank John Holland for proudly sponsoring this episode. Thanks to Catherine Cox for joining me today for Move Your Mind. 
Join me, Nick Brax, in Mental Health Masterclass, where you can access cinema-quality essential mental health education from world-leading experts anytime, anywhere. Each 12 to 15-minute module comes with comprehensive workbooks and a range of printable books with optional tasks, behavior change tools, information, and guidance to create healthy, preventative long-term habits. Go to courses.nickbrax.com to enroll, or simply go to nickbrax.com and click on the Mental Health Masterclass icon and subscribe to receive a free PDF tip sheet to help you create simple daily wellness habits. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 